Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. It's not often that we get to talk about the same company back to back so quickly. (laughs) I think this is the first time. Um, But hey, what can you say when you've got lots of news about Uber? Yeah, it just writes itself, right? For context, uh, we've been doing some research on the Uber CISO breach, like like he's going to jail potentially thing going on. Um, And I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Like, okay. So Drew, before I jump in, is there anything that you want to, you want to say as well? Uh, It's not the end of the world. And the research we conducted was more than just reading uh, rage posts and clickbait on LinkedIn. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because there was plenty of that going around. There's plenty of it. There's plenty of it. It's, um, Okay, so to to set the scene, the the headline, the headline that we're referring to is Uber's ex-CISO, a man by the name of Joe Sullivan. Uh, He was CISO for a few years, at least, I think, starting in 2015 and for a few years. Um, He recently was found guilty in a trial uh of covering up a data breach that occurred in 2016 um and he could be going to prison for a maximum of eight years i think is what i read yeah it's uh it's not a fun time no no i don't think i would want to do that um well no i know i wouldn't want to do that uh and it is it is somewhat the the thing that everybody's talking about is how like oh what precedent is this setting like oh my gosh what uh, should, should we a- just let people know our opinion of what precedent it sets out right now Chris yeah <laughs> there's not it's, there's no change of precedent <laughs> it's like yep. basically don't do criminal stuff and you <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah you probably won't get uh, hit yeah you you wake up everyone who's like a CISO they wake up the next day and it's just like oh my god what has changed. Nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and that's that was because because honestly, before before I started reading a bunch of this stuff of like what actually happened, I was I had seen so much stuff on Facebook and like honestly, if you Google a bunch of if you just Google Joe Sullivan Uber, um, the top articles are all talking about how it's like, oh my gosh, like being a CISO is going to be so hard now, like it's gotten so much harder, and I just I just don't I don't. Based on what I now know, I'm not sure that I agree with that. Um, no, I, I don't agree with it. Being a CISO is not so much harder. Um, there are, you know, consequences to your actions, and you have to own up to those. Uh, and and uh, as we go into the data that has been provided through this court case, I think more and more people will see it that way. But you know, writing an article that says uh, your life as a CISO has not changed one bit. Uh, is not something that gets clicked, right? <laughs> <laughs> if it bleeds, it leads. Let's 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 let, let's, let's be a little honest here and and, and kind of know like two sides of the coin of what's happening. And yeah. I don't think if if someone was just like, oh, actually, not if someone. This actually happened. Someone asked if you were offered 
CISO position today, would you think more heavily about it? And this was just like a conversation uh, on LinkedIn. And I was like, no, why? Like, what would be it? And, you know, like, why, why would I think more heavily about it? Because, yeah. oh, yeah, if you obstruct an investigation by the government, you're going to go to jail. Well, I, yep. I knew that beforehand. <laughs> that is that. Yeah, that's um, I mean, that tracks that. tracks. <laughs> that is not, roughly not that I've like instructed <laughs> investigation <laughs> before, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's I think it's a reasonable expectation. I feel like it's an expectation. I've probably I've never had to think so explicitly about it, but I've had that right. implicit expectation for a while. Yeah. Um, Let's let's talk about what like, like a little down. bit of the background here. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. Back in 2014, there is a data breach at Uber and it's like fairly f- small scale. I want to say that it was like 50,000 records. Like if we take a if we take a look at the actual like FTC um court document that was claims, filed, yep. yeah, the, the claims. So it says in 2014, Uber had recently disclosed to the FTC that it had been the victim of a data breach in 2014 and that the breach related to the unauthorized access of approximately 50,000 consumers' personal information, including their names and driver's license numbers. Um, 50,000. Yeah, not great. Not bad. 3.5 <laughs> Ronkin, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> not great. Not bad. Far worse than zero. But it's like in in the scale of like we're so used to hearing millions, tens of millions, hundreds yeah. of millions of records. It's uh, not fifty-seven million. No, no, it's not fifty-seven million. It's yeah. it's it's missing. <laughs> it's missing a zero um, and a seven. Uh, and so a few so, months time frame. <laughs> and a few in a few months time frame. Okay, so that happens in twenty fourteen, and then the FTC basically opens this investigation into uber as a result of that breach in 2014 it's not entirely clear to me what the like i I didn't read like what was what was the ftc looking to prove i do know that like a common thing for the ftc to do is oh there's this company that's getting really popular over here and they have a lot of user data ftc will now find some reason to open an investigation into that company and if that company is found to be negligent of its duties to protect user information then they can get hit with what is called a consent decree. And a consent decree really impacts your ability to operate um, as a startup. Like it just, you, you you now kind of like have the government holding your hand through a lot of the decisions that you make as a business. So um, that is one of the reasons that FTC will find a problem with a, with a company and then go investigate them. That is, that is one of the outcomes that they go for. And it's, it's kind of a way to, to, to regulate industry when you can't, get your government to pass laws effectively. Um, so FTC is investigating Uber. Joe Sullivan starts in 2015 as the CISO, the chief security officer. So the person that like all security related decisions roll up through. And then what happens, Drew? So after he joins uh, Uber in 2016, Uber gets hacked again, right? Uh, Sullivan, uh, well, b- before then, Sullivan supervised some of Uber's responses to the FTC's, FTC's questioning, uh, and participated in a presentation to the FTC in March 2016, right? Uh, and, uh, then 
Um, fast forward to November 4th. Uh, again, he, he talks to the FTC and talks about Uber's data security policies and testimony talking about like um, specific parts and claims that he's made to, that Uber is doing to keep Uber's customer and driver's data safe, right? And I guess I can't say Uber's driver's data, Uber's contractors, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> driver's license safe. So like after that though, after that happened, 10 days later, Sullivan got emailed by hackers that reached out directly to him, a, a direct email to him saying, yo, we got all this data uh, and we like they stole a significant amount of data. As I was joking beforehand, 57 million. They, the answer was, yes, 57 million yep. uh, Uber users and 600,000 driver's license numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. And a little bit worse. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's like that's like much more than three Rodkin. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's what it can't be read anymore. That, that's that uh, twenty one thousand one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know the jokes that we're making there, it's um, from a HBO or Chernobyl. Yeah, Chernobyl. Um, not a true accurate representation of actually how it went down in history, but uh, a really good, really good, interesting, uh, and, and humorous watch. Yep. Um, yeah. But I'm not a historian. I just <laughs> not not all that humorous. But I think we're just making <laughs> we're we're making it funny, <laughs> or at least um, attempting to. Our, our listeners yeah. can be the judge of that. Um, but yeah, so so this larger breach happened. He was emailed directly by the hackers. So so there's no claim like he didn't know, right? And to further prove that he did know, he went to the CEO of that time of Uber, and. Travis uh, Kalanick for uh, yes. for anybody that doesn't know who that was. And he's like, yo, <laughs> we got a problem here. This is what happened. And I'm going to say uh, Travis and, and Joe came up with an idea to quietly pay the hackers 100K in Bitcoin through their um, uh, through their bug uh, bug bug program. program. It right? wasn't Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was 100k uh, in Bitcoin in December 2016. I suppose you probably don't want to have a. Uh... <laughs> okay, that yeah. makes it even yeah, shadier. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, you don't gonna... want to have. You don't want to have what uh, to use something that has a ledger, an open ledger that anyone can look at, and also the government has like you know chain analysis access. So they can well, I was going to say it would that. it would be even it would be even worse if um if it was like a bank like if it was just like oh yeah we're just going to do an ACH transfer to this bank over here that has like KYC requirements and so we know who you are. I didn't but it it makes sense that they paid out in Bitcoin and it also makes sense like back in 2016 when it's like oh yeah Bitcoin it's not don't worry about it it's it's kind of anonymous. It's not it's not <laughs> anonymous at all. <laughs> it, it is not. I think we have an episode about that. Uh, <laughs> we do. We do. Anyways, I, I digress. So they paid out $100,000. Go. Yeah, in December 2016. Um, and uh, Sullivan asked, like, his entire team, he, he kept this control, this information, uh, uh, like, very tightly controlled. In fact, tightly controlled was the exact phrasing that they used when they were talking about his just unbelievable control over anything coming out. He told people not to initiate an investigation. Uh, he told people to stop doing investigations, uh, and, like inside of Uber, right? And he even made claims like, "Oh, uh, 
this investigation does not exist, right? Um, to a security group um, uh, or to another group outside of the, the security group. So like this is like crazy amounts of trying to cover your ass. And uh, this is part of the reasons why he got arrested. It wasn't because, you know, CISOs are, are going to the way um, of becoming extinct because they're being targeted. It's because uh, you did a lot of bad things. And sometimes you got to make up for those bad things. So, so after holding this information, tightly holding this information, they pay the, the, the hackers in December. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, uh, the two hackers signed a non-disclosure agreement uh, with their true names. What? Uh, Are you yes. serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the two hackers, uh, I'll read it directly from, from the case. Uh, the two hackers in January of 2016, uh, or uh, Uber was ultimately able to identify the two hackers in January of 2017 and required them to execute new copies of the non-disclosure agreement and their true names and emphasize they were not allowed to talk about the hack to anyone else. Sullivan orchestrated these acts despite knowing, knowing that the hackers were hacking and extorting other companies as well as Uber and that the hackers had obtained data from at least one of those other companies. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. The more you read about it, the more you're just yeah. like, holy shit, guy, you went from taking a shovel and digging yourself a hole to get <laughs> like, a backhoe. <laughs> like, yeah, can I get that? Can I rent this power tool? Um, yeah. And, and this is why in the beginning of this episode, we said the role of CISO has not changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, even, yeah. Even if he was told, why is C- CEO like, do these steps? Like, don't participate in investigations, help, you know, in the act of covering it up. Of course, it wouldn't be said like that, but help in the act of, uh, you know, making sure that we don't have to disclose this because we're going to play some legally tomfoolery. Uh, that's going to be seen through and uh, you're going to have a bad, bad time. Right. So so that's why I think it's not it's still not going to change the role of the CISO. Like if. if and of course, everyone says this when they're not in the position, right? Um, but you know, if if I was that CISO, I'd be like, "Yeah, we need to. <laughs> we definitely need to talk to the FTC about that." Yeah, um, yeah, it, that's it, it's not something that you can compromise on, and it, it's going to suck, right? Like, there's no doubt in the world that it's going to it's going to it's going to super suck. It's going to super suck. It's not going to be fun at all. But like, yeah, it's not it's not a thing that you can you just do not it. do. Yeah, yeah, you you have to do it, and it's not just the morally correct thing or or the legally correct thing. It's like you have to be responsible for your customers and their data privacy. And this is, I mean, this is, I think, it's been a theme for the last what since Snowden. Um, at, at a minimum, um, there's people talking about it beforehand too, but customers taking ownership of actually actively protecting their customers' data and letting their customer know, hey, bad stuff happened, right? Now, when Uber got breached again, I mean, we were talking about it in a previous episode, like, I got the notification. I was in Virginia and they're just like, oh, Uber mm-hmm. got breached. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, this is not good for me. 
Uh, and I literally had to take an Uber like after that as well. <laughs> it's like, right, no, like Lyft drivers. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was like, yep. Oh, damn it. Okay. Yep. Um, but, but they let me know. Right. And if this is what Uber would have done, it, we'd be telling a different story. Right. Yep. We'd be yep. telling a story of like, oh my God, they got breached. Um, yeah, bad stuff happens. You know, people aren't going to get bonuses on the executive level and security team, uh, possibly. Uh, if they're, if they're, you know, bonuses are tied to that. Um, but in the end, we would not be talking about someone who did something illegal that then got them possible jail time. We don't yeah. know th- his final conviction yet, I believe, right? There's no information on his was, actual term served. There's only yeah. an estimate of up to a certain amount of years. Up to eight, and he's going to appeal it. Um, yeah, of course. He's going to appeal yeah, appeal the, the ruling, but... I want to, there's, there's a few other things that I want to kind of like highlight here as well. So in, in looking through, we, we, we talked about the most recent Uber breach and the most recent Uber breach was like, oh, this young guy and social engineering was the initial way in. And then like on the internal network, searched around, found the PAM, like credentials, provisioned access to everything else. Um, reading through the details of what happened back in 2016 with this breach, it reads very, very similarly, very similarly. Like mm-hmm. it was, um, it's basically hacker gets into Slack from Slack gets credentials for other stuff and then just starts ransacking the internal network. And then is also 18 years old. And like, these are, these are very, I mean, it, it's it's a methodology, right? Like maybe it's running with the same group, whatever. But it's like, yo, know, like looking at what happened in 2016 and looking at like what recently happened, these both sound very, very similar. Um, which I don't know what to make of that. Maybe it's nothing. Uh, but I just found that that to be an interesting point. Um, well, I, I think I think there's a little bit more interest into that point because um, than like originally what hits the surface because he like Sullivan did testify the ftc like these are the measures that we took uh you know in place to protect this type of item these type of items and i don't know all the measures that he claimed but maybe some of those measures weren't actually taken to the degree he represented them in right yeah yeah now now or before anyone gets you know very angry um yeah we understand companies are going to get hacked and social engineering is here to stay uh, and that's not what we're saying. We're not saying like, oh my gosh, they got like, I don't know how the init- initial breach happened on this uh, older one. Um, but even if it was social engineering, we're not saying like, oh my gosh, they got social engineered again, right? That's not what mm-hmm. we're saying. Like that mm-hmm. we understand um, that it it can happen. What we're saying is it's odd that there were similar paths that the hackers were taking uh, and similar methodologies that the hackers were using uh, because it would indicate that mm, maybe things weren't all on the up and up like they should have been um, or or some claims that there would be. So I, I think that's the point that you're making, Chris, right? Not that like, oh, my gosh, you got hacked again. Um, and I just want to make sure people don't read into it like that. No, no, I don't. I don't mean it like that at all. It's more along, yeah, more along the lines of, look, if you get hacked in one particular way, typically you put defenses in place that are going to prevent that because you at least have evidence that that was an effective like way that, that the compromise happened. And it just sounds like that it was like a similar approach as well because I think mm-hmm. social engineering was the initial foothold, and then so like, how is it? Like, if you had a breach in 2016, 
that also according to some of the some of the stuff you're reading was pretty fairly comprehensive like showing that they have access to databases like showing that Mm -hmm. they have access to production environments all this different stuff if you have that happen how do you still end up in 2022 with a network file share that has the administrative like like the master admin uh credentials in it it just like that it's not that doesn't seem like a coherent security program if that's where you end up as a result of a breach. But it, regardless, one of the uh, one of the things that was pretty interesting in all of this, uh, in, in all the documents that came out about what had happened, and I, I'll just read it here. Uh, the evidence at trial demonstrated that Sullivan, in his new reso- role as CISO, played a central role in Uber's response to the FTC. Specifically, Sullivan, Sullivan supervised Uber's responses to the FTC questions, participated in a presentation to the FTC in March 2016 and testified under oath at length to the FTC on November 4th, 2016 regarding Uber's data security practices. Sullivan's testimony included specific representations about steps he claimed Uber had taken to keep customer data secure. Exactly 10 days after his FTC testimony, Sullivan learned that Uber had been hacked again. The hackers reached out to Sullivan directly via email on November 14th, 2016, The hackers informed Sullivan and others at Uber that they had stolen a significant amount of Uber user data, and they demanded a large ransom payment from Uber in exchange for the deletion of that data. Employees working for Sullivan quickly verified the accuracy of these claims and the massive theft of user data, which included records on approximately 57 million Uber users and 600,000 driver's license numbers. So in the middle of just, just again, coming back to this notion that it's like, oh man, it's, you know, this is unprecedented. We're talking about somebody that had very clear evidence, like a clear knowledge that what they were supposed to be doing is like communicating and cooperating with the FTC, the government body that is investigating them as the result of a breach. And at like almost the exact same time, a new breach happens. And then that breach is just kept under wraps um, and is not disclosed to the FTC, despite the fact that like all those communication lines are, I'm sure, very open at that point. Like it is, it is, I cannot, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine being in a scenario where it's like, oh yes, we are currently under investigation for a breach. And these are the people that I'm talking to. And I'm one of the like main, I'm the main person talking to them. And oh my gosh, there's another data breach over here. I probably shouldn't tell them about this. Like, I just, I just don't, that defense does not sound reasonable to me I, yeah. I just can't yeah especially like like look if you make it to the point as a CISO your whole thing is risk management you know how this game is played like yep. you know the way that you know what you should be doing and uh, again this is Uber and this is Uber in the days of Travis Kalanick and for the uninitiated like there's plenty of there's plenty of stuff whether it's on the internet or it's in books or it's like the the super pumped movie, there is plenty of information about what it is like to work at a Travis Kalanick company. Um, and based on the evidence that we have, a a very potentially likely scenario is CISO immediately reports to the CEO and asks for direction. And then CEO says, you make this go away. And like, we're not telling anybody about this. Um, because apparently Sullivan did not even tell their general counsel, right? Which, <laughs> like, look, look, that that's a paddling. That's that's <laughs> your, that's your first call. That's your that's literally like 
Like, well, I guess maybe yeah. not first. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would go to CEO or or general counsel. I would probably go to general counsel first. I'd probably go to general counsel first, actually, because you want to go to the lawyer and be like, "Hey, lawyer, how do I? How should I communicate? How should I yes. communicate about this? And who should I communicate it to? Right? Because the legal implications of this are the most important thing to be thinking about. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing is. Um, you want to talk to your lawyers just because you may not realize it, but you telling certain people might put them also at risk yes, if something exactly. isn't done. Exactly. And you're limiting the liability of the corporation more because you're already stepping into like a pile of dog crap, right? Uh, what you're trying to do is not shake it off on and have it splatter onto everyone else. And that's why you should talk to legal counsel, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's Tell a great wrong, analogy. That's a, no, no, that's that's a hundred percent true. That's a hundred percent true. And the like, look, going straight to counsel is what you do in like some really small companies. Like, look, when you have counsel oh, yeah. and you have something bad happen, like that as as a CISO, the like general counsel is your like right hand person. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're on your side, they're literally they're, on they're, your side. They're on your side. They're on your side. You're both where you like. Effectively, when you're looking at things at that level, you're both in the game of risk mitigation. Lawyers are going to be doing legal risk mitigation. You're going to be doing technical, depending on the scope of what CISO contains. But like technological risk mitigation um, is potentially a good way to uh, a good way to put a put an umbrella above it. Like. Those go hand in hand, and so often, what one one group needs, the other group needs as well. And so, you collaborate with your general counsel to push for something, and you have a much higher likelihood of it being implemented because, like, the whole risk board, I mean, that most of the risk board is like, "Hey, this is really important," um, and it just get you you get shit done that way. So, general counsel is your your person. Um, and so let me read, let me read this little snippet of this article, uh, that, that, that was talking about this. Mr. Sullivan did not reveal the 2016 hack to Uber's general counsel. According to the court testimonies and documents, he did discuss the breach with another Uber lawyer, Craig Clark. Like Mr. Sullivan, Mr. Clark was filed by Mr. Khosr Shahi after the new chief executive learned about the details of the breach. Mr. Clark was given immunity by federal prosecutors in exchange for testifying against Mr. Sullivan. Mr. Clark testified that Mr. Sullivan had told the Uber security team that they needed to keep the breach secret and that Mr. Sullivan had changed the non-disclosure agreement signed by the hackers to make it falsely seem that the hack was white hat research. Crazy, crazy. Like, I wonder if there are other breaches that were covered up by a bug bounty program. I have to... I have, like... (laughs) I mean, it's a it's a dark hole to go down, right? And it's a rabbit hole to go down. But but it is interesting. It's not. They're probably not the first that have ever thought about this, right? And I wonder how many other people are just like, oh shit, like <laughs> the thing we did in 2017, 2019 is going to come bite us in the ass one day. Yeah, I I just also like. Did do you did you think that running it through a bug bounty program was going to make it legal? Like, what was the thinking behind that? Right? Like, look, if it's an illicit payoff, 
make it illicit rather than having like a paper trail <laughs> of like, oh, it's a bug bounty. Like, like if you're doing something really illegal like that, you would think that you'd want to cover your tracks a little bit better rather than being like, oh yeah, no, it's a hundred thousand dollars. And it's totally like on all of these documents now. Yeah. To- totes um, legit. The, the, the icing on the cake is like <laughs> the two hackers actually got charged and yeah. uh, they're ultimately yeah. prosecuted in like yep. uh, in, in Northern California, right? In, in October. And, and they were charged with computer fraud, uh, conspiracy charges, and they await sentencing as well. But like, I wonder if the hackers also thought like, oh, if we get paid through the bug bounty program, like uh, this, this makes us, this makes us money legit, right? Like it, it removes you one step from having to launder the money yeah, right? because you're yeah. like, oh, this oh. money is legit. Like I've, it's already in the system. It's clean. This is like the, this is our method for how we got it. Yeah, oh, sure. Boy. It takes like one or two steps away from the laundering method, but I don't even think <laughs> about the tax implications. Is this fraud? I wonder if this is, is technically fraud as well. If it's found to be, um, oh, if they well, it's so so. Assuming that they are part of uh, a U.S. citizen, assuming they're a U.S. citizen, right? Uh, it could be fraud. But if they weren't U.S. citizens, then they're just brought yeah. over here. You know, they were expedited. Uh, or, or they were, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Deported? No, 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 no. It's extradited. When, uh, oh, was it extradited? Okay. When your country gives you up to the U.S. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, word for that. Yep. <laughs> um, they, uh, yeah, I mean, you go and uh, <laughs> you're not going to have to pay tax on that. But if they were a U.S. citizen, yeah, and they didn't like pay taxes on it, like that, they'll definitely get charged with that too. Uh, remember, I think it was Al Capone. He didn't get in trouble for all the crazy things he did that were yeah, illegal. He got in trouble man. for tax avoidance or talk yep. tax fraud, right? Yep, yep. And it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you forgot to like file something or you thought it was being handled by someone else. It's just like, no, you just didn't do it. Um, yeah, yeah. Turns out you have to, you have to uh, pay uh, taxes on your illicit gains, even, uh, which I find hilarious whenever you see like that warning when you're filing taxes it's like make sure to claim your uh, like income from illicit activities it's just like <laughs> <laughs> who like, fills wow. this out like i want i want to know the criminal I know, yeah yeah it just goes straight to the out. high priority queue for their for their yeah. like audits <laughs> like oh, we, are, somebody- <laughs> we are very interested in your line of work <laughs> <laughs> us and our friends all these other three other agencies yeah um, from the doj <laughs> Man, so so yeah, so there's the payoff through Hacker One, or through I, I think it's Hacker One. Through the bug bounty, I'm not bug bounty, for yeah. sure on Hacker One. I, I I believe you are correct, but I don't want to say that. Yeah, so, so through the bug bounty program. One at us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one other one other thing that I want to add to just add some like kind of personal context and color um, to to the situation. So I said before, like, oh, maybe maybe it was the case that like escalated straight to Travis Kalanick, and then Kalanick said, like, you know, make it go away. Um, which, like, look, I know I'm making that up. I'm just making that up out of whole fabric. Like, I have no evidence to say that that is how it happened. But look, if that's how it happened, I would really not be surprised um, based on at least what is in the public sphere uh, about this individual and the way that the way that they run companies. Um, I have actually been in a situation where I was considering working for Travis Kalanick 
uh, in a like senior security role. And so I went around and asked uh, various folks in the community what they thought about that idea. And the overwhelming sentiment was that it was dangerous. Um, and that it was just like, it was not like, basically it's like you can make good money, but it's, it's dangerous. Um, because you can't like, like literally you cannot, you cannot have your, the company that you work for stand in the way of like criminal investigations against you. Like that's not like, like civil, whatever it will be associated with the company, but criminal is a wholly different thing. Um, and, and based on the evidence that we have, or the, the, again, the evidence that is in the public sphere, like this was, it feels pretty plain. It's like you, you directly, directly tried to hide a breach in front of the FTC while you're under investigation. <laughs> like that. So, yes. So, yes. Your role as a CISO, I'll tell you what, if that is what you're doing as a CISO, yeah, your role as a CISO is going to change because you're not, not going to be a CISO for very long because you're going to be uh, potentially in jail. But if you're not doing that, like, like that is, it's just, I don't know. It's so far afield from what it means to be a responsible CISO to let something like that happen. Like your part of your job, part of your job as a CISO is to hold the company accountable. Um, and like there are, t- there, there's always going to be conversations around like, oh, is it the right time to be prioritizing this sort of risk? Is it the wrong time? Like how much can we invest in security is like the, the risk calculation for a breach versus no breach for implementing this thing. Like it, it does come into like, there's so much of being a, being a CISO, being in security leadership that is going to be horse trading and is going to be like getting, like you're not going to be in a perfect place. You're not going to have a perfect program. You are always going to be exposed to breaches. Like it is always possible for it to happen. Um, but that is, that is not what is it question here. Like it's all, that's always going to be a thing. Like this is, this is, seems to be pretty plainly, uh, a, a, this is just negligent of duty. Like this is, this is deceitful. Yeah. As an, a security executive, you still have a fiduciary duty for your company. Um, even if your company isn't public, uh, for people who are like, oh, that's for public companies only. but even if your company is not public, you still have investors, right? You still have money that's tied to it. You have employees and everything that, that they rely on. You can't just try to pay hush money for illicit activities so that it goes away. And I don't know their reason. I'd be very interested to hear about the reasoning of why they thought this was a good idea, right? But why or, or what? what other conversations were had that that the investigations didn't find right or or there was no trail for but i agree with chris that 100% that your role as a ciso has not changed just because one ciso got arrested and charged for something because they did something illegal doesn't mean your role as a ciso has changed one iota mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. you just know for a fact that yeah cisos will get arrested there's real world consequences for like, like that's one of the things like the, the having this sort of job is meaningful because you have real responsibility, especially when you have that sort of scale of data underneath yep. your purview. Mm-hmm. It's just like CFOs. CFOs get arrested for wire fraud, right? Like you're going to get arrested for obstructing uh, an investigation. 
as a CISO, right? They're both risk organizations, yep. people who deal with risk. So, uh, yeah, I, I again, like I like we were saying, and I don't know if I said it in the beginning of this recording, but saying your job as a CISO hasn't changed one iota doesn't uh, you know get clicks, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and and there's plenty of doom and gloom to go around on LinkedIn around this subject as well. And I don't think there is a consensus of people that agree. Um, you know, you and I agree on this, Chris, but I know there are people out there that are just like, no, it changes it because of X, Y, and Z, right? And they might legitimately believe that. But I just, show me how it changes your job as a CISO. Like, show me the yeah. empirical data that says, this is different because of A, B, and C. Yeah. Yeah, the, like a company was never able to shield you from a criminal investigation. If you act criminally, they are not going to be able to protect you. Um, right. And uh, yeah, even if you and do it at their behest, even if they even if even if they explicitly tell you. So let's actually let's dive into that. So so let's say that this scenario of escalated and then told to keep it hush hush escalated not to the not to general counsel, but escalated to CEO and then keep it hush hush, like. What is your what do you do in that situation? Yeah, well, you you got to I mean, the easy answer. And of course, this is the answer that everyone will give you who is not in that position, right? Is uh, you go talk to your lawyers about that, right? Um, What the actual answer is, I mean, I think the actual answer is, well, you got to talk to the lawyers, Uh, you're going to get the short end of the stick either way. Like there is, there is no winning. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to protect both yourself and you Mm -hmm. have to protect your customers. Yep. That is your responsibility at that time. Is the CEO going to get mad at you? Are all the other executives going to get mad at you? Yeah. But you know what? They're not going to be able to do be mad at you while you're in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. low, low. Yes. No, no, no matter true. how angry they're going to be, it's it doesn't true. matter. It's always going to be better outcome than being in prison. Yeah, and I, I will say, like, you know, the the sorts of pressures that that is one of the hard parts of being in like a security leadership role is you are going to have to fight for things, and this is has this has to be one of the hardest things to fight for. Period is like one of the most powerful entrepreneurs in the world is telling you not to again this is hypothetical but if you're if you're told by your boss this is like this is an incredibly powerful person telling me to do this thing and in actuality your title requires you to a contradict them b go to lawyers and c probably report it as soon as possible to the government body that's investigating you which will have untold consequences for the business like that would have been an immediate I, don't know, I, I guess I don't, you know, I, I don't know the full machinations behind like what an FTC, how an FTC consent decree happens. But look, if you're being investigated for a data breach of a small size of 50,000 records, and then you're like, well, actually, we just got breached and it's 57 million records. Well, the, the outcome is going to be worse categorically for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it seems. But, but the thing is, he could have, I mean, he, he got hired, right? The breach happened. Um, and it, it's just like, I had this 18 month plan, um, you know, or I had this 24 month plan and I wasn't able to execute on it. And this is why we got breached again. Yeah. Right. I, I wonder 
knowing how he knows how it plays out now, would he do it again? Right? Is I, it have worth to, it? I have to think. No, I have to think absolutely not. Well, he still got fired for it. He still got fired I know. for it. I know. It's so yeah. hard and now going to jail. And I, I, like, I had this question asked to me one time What are you going to do that is going to net you $100 million in the next 10 years? Right. And I was mm. like, I don't know. Right. But that person that was asking me was actually legal counsel uh, at, a, at a bank after we were like doing a readout with them. And I've had my family, I've had my, one of my brothers ask me that same exact question as well. Um, and I was like, I don't know. And they're like, so why don't you just take the money that you like steal during a pen test? I was like, uh, it's morally wrong. Uh, yeah, these things called morals. Uh, also it's illegal. And like, you know, that the lawyer's counter argument was less. And my brother had made the same counter argument, which was just like, yeah, but you serve 10 years. Right. And then you're out and you got a hundred million dollars. If you can like tuck it away, like smartly before, before. And I was just like, even if that was possible, right? It's still morally wrong. Yeah. It is infinitely morally wrong. Like there is more than just legality items. And and this is where I think it comes into play uh on on the executive level, where it was just like, you know this is wrong. He had to know this is wrong. There's no way he did not know this is wrong. I know I don't but I don't even I don't even want to phrase it that way. I don't want to phrase it as like knowing this is wrong. Like, like Clearly, yes, knowing that is wrong, but there's a difference between it being wrong and it being criminal. Like, like right? No, just, I agree. Or, and it being criminal, and I feel like if you if you did not realize that that was criminal, then the only you know it's wrong, and you know it's probably really wrong. Um, and whether or not it's criminal is something you want to talk to a lawyer about. But right. it's just like it, it. It feels like something that myself, as somebody that is far less experienced than this person was at this point. That mm-hmm. should have been obvious. Yeah. I mean, if a CISO for any future organizations who uh, want to hire me as a CISO if I, when I sell my company or when I just stop doing it and give it away, um, know that I will definitely be talking to the lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if a breach yeah. Of 57 million people happen. It'd be yep. like, oh, yes, I'm going to talk to the lawyers. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to tell me the direction we can do this again because. Going directly to another executive in the company may not be the correct way to do this. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's not and it's not you're trying to cover it up. As it might sound like you're trying to cover up. No, you're literally trying to do it so this that, is the way to make it the least risky. Least risky. Right. The least risk, the least amount of possible because this is also brand reputation that you gotta think about that, yep. right? Yep. You're gonna report it um to the government. Like you're gonna report it regardless, but report it in such a way that there isn't a ton of random conspiracies being published about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And or that, like, and, and all of the electronic communications that happen between all these different parties are now part of like subject to, to the investigation. Like, yeah, just, right. just limit, limit the number of parties you're speaking to and the and talk, sort of information that you're exchanging with them. Talk to someone who knows the law, right? Like yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. Do you know Always important. No. Are you a lawyer? No. Okay, great. You should probably talk to a lawyer when it comes yep. to something like that. Yep. And that's the part that I found mm, crazy, right? Is like the thought of, like he went to a CISO first and, and there could be some things where like, you know, you have, a, you're, you, as executives, you have great relationships with each other, hopefully. And you might talk about something, right? But the fact when the response is, Oh yeah, we need to cover this up. That's when it should also. That, that's a that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. Red flag. 
yeah it's just like all right yeah we have a whole field of red flags here right yeah, like yeah oh yes this is we need to make this go away it's yeah. just like you know what <laughs> we don't actually what we really need to do is we need to get lawyers involved because there's yeah. gonna be a lot more consequences that we're gonna have to deal with if we do it your way and we see yeah. we see exactly how that works out now we have case precedents for how that works out for every CISO out there right now if you're thinking if you have an, another executive that says something needs to be covered up to this magnitude like you have a roadmap of what's going to happen now yeah 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 i think that's like that really covers all of it for me yep. like this is this doesn't seem to i don't think this materially changes the risk profile of being in a CISO role no. There, you know, everything in the public sphere. Again, look, it's the government making its case, um, but I don't, I don't think that the justice.gov documents are going to outright lie about anything. Um, no, hopefully not. And just yes. based <laughs> on just based on the content within those, it's like, yeah, this is pretty. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, like that. That's not <laughs> done. Done. I don't know, but maybe you disagree. Right. We would love to hear like other people oh, yeah. talk about totally. if they disagree. If you disagree, if you think this fundamentally changes the role of CISO, like come tell us why. Tell us why. Hit us come up on us LinkedIn. Why. Hit us up on any of our social media. Tell us why this fundamentally changes the role of CISO forever. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want to hear it. Right. Like my mind can be changed. Maybe there's something that I'm not seeing. Maybe there's yep. something, yep. maybe there's some greater wisdom out there that I just can't grasp. Yeah. Let us know. And until then, see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting, and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe. Stay safe.